Well, thank you, Kevin, and all of you for having me. I'm happy to be here today. I, uh, I think you're taking a step down from Kevin to me, but uh, that's, that's what you get when you have someone so gracious as Kevin to invite me here. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to look at some text of Scripture here in 1 Corinthians 15 that I'm sure will be very familiar to you, but it is, as I was talking to Kevin about this, I never tire of hearing a sermon from the same familiar text of Scripture, and, uh, and Scripture itself affirms this. I was um, talking to one of my kids, and they were asking me uh, what I was going to preach about, and something about the Bible and how big it is. And I said, well, the Bible is big, but it's, there's not a million different things in there. There's really just a few things, and the main thing is Christ and Him crucified. So that's what we want to look at. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I've entitled this message, The Gospel. <coughs> The gospel. You know, you'll notice it here in the first verse. But before we read, I want to mention the, the background in this to this chapter. The Corinthians were a group of people in a city that Paul the Apostle had gone to in the New Testament time. And he had preached uh, an amazing amount of distance and to an amazing amount of different kinds of people. In fact, as I was thinking about this and I was listening to the Bible reading from the, I have an Alexander Scorby app on my phone I like to listen to. Um, I was listening through the book of Acts and it surprises me how, how far the gospel spread in so short a time in the New Testament. Perhaps you've been struck by that and as I was listening to, when it got to chapter 17, the Apostle Paul came to Athens. And there were philosophers there, and I'm intimidated by intellectual people uh, because I'm not intellectual. And, uh, and no doubt the Apostle Paul had an intellect much greater than mine. And, but it was God, the Holy Spirit, who had taught him. It wasn't his natural intellect, but God, the Holy Spirit, who had taught him. What impressed me is that the fact, the fact that he could go to these philosophers that in our modern time we look back on with admiration because of their intellect. They were considered wise by the world. There were people like Aristotle and Socrates and their disciples who had been in that area for years. And when the Apostle Paul went there, he declared something to them they had never heard before. And they were, many of them were converted, many were not. But what impressed me is that the Apostle Paul and all the other the apostles went throughout all the world at that time with the gospel at the commission of Christ and they successfully penetrated the whole world. Now if you think about that, that is phenomenal. In fact, you might consider it the greatest miracle ever to have been uh, uh, given in this world, except, of course, for the crucifixion of Christ. Think about this. Jesus told the disciples, greater works shall you do because I go to my Father. And because he went to his Father, he sent the Holy Spirit from his exalted throne. Christ sent his Spirit into this world. And through the Spirit coming and working through the apostles, the, the gospel went out through all the world. Amazing. Nothing short of a miracle of the greatest proportion. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16 that, uh, that upon this rock, upon Christ and him crucified, he would build this church, his church. And the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Now that's amazing. The world is held in darkness by the prince of darkness. And yet Christ sends men with his spirit into the world with this message and it penetrated not only the, the general cultures but to, to re, people steeped in religion in the Jews' religion and in the intellectualism of this world and into barbaric places where people didn't have any education 
and spoke languages that you can't hardly pronounce, like in Papua New Guinea or American Indians. The gospel went throughout all the world, and that is an amazing miracle, I think. It, it causes me to, to realize that we don't have to be intimidated because the power is not of ourselves. It's of God, and that, that power of God comes through the gospel. Now, the Corinthians were one of those groups of people, and they had a lot of problems. It's surprising when you get to chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, the problem here that's being addressed, which was the resurrection. How could they be called Christians, and yet in their church have some division over the, whether or not there was a resurrection? And so that's what Paul is doing. And notice how he addresses that fault, that uh, false doctrine. What does he do to address it? Notice how he does this. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. The gospel. Now, we want to stop here because this is not only the title of the message, but this is it right here. The gospel. I'm going to declare unto you, Paul says, the gospel. Um, when we think about the gospel, we have to hold it in contrast to everything else in religion. Almost all religion is about experience. It's about my, my own personal experience in my life. And religion appeals to that. You know, come here and you will get your problem solved. Your marriage, your finances... Uh, your politics, uh, whatever it is, we'll solve it here in this place where religion is taught. Mm -hmm. But that's not what Paul said. I'm not going to try to uh, get into your mind and thoughts about how you live in your life. I'm going to declare something to you, something outside of you, something that occurred in time, in a place with another person, someone else's experience. And this gospel that he's about to declare is going to set, set uh, back in order the error that they had about the resurrection. And not only that error, but all the other errors that they could have, the gospel. So he says, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. This is the way the gospel comes to us. <clears throat> We're not... Uh, we don't get involved in some kind of an enthusiastic experience, or we don't, we don't look for uh, following a plan in our life. You just take these steps. That's our own personal history. The gospel comes to us as something that God did in Christ outside of our experience. And this, this takes away all of our contribution. This takes away all doubt because God did it, not me. And this takes away all expectations that it would fail, that it wouldn't succeed. It's going to be successful because God did this and he's declaring it. He's preaching it. He's holding it forth. He's setting it out to us. And that's what preaching does. It declares the truth. It declares the person who is the truth in his work. And so it goes on. The gospel which I preach to you, which also you have received. You received it. You didn't go out looking for it. It came to you and you heard it. And by God's grace, by the Spirit of God, you received it. You believed. Wherein, he says, this gospel, wherein you stand. This is where you're standing. You're standing firm. This is the only foundation you have. The gospel. Now, verse 2 by which also you are saved. The gospel is about salvation. If you keep in memory, when, we, when we've heard the gospel, when God has given it to us, and he's given us this gift of faith, he holds it in our memory. He causes us to turn it over in our minds, to meditate on it. We go to God with this truth in our hand, like a letter sent to you, this is what you take. You take it to the one you have to go to and present it to him. Remember, in the book of Philemon, the apostle Paul writes to Philemon, who was the master of Onesimus, the slave, and he gives that letter to Onesimus, the slave. Take this. Go to Philemon. Show this to him. 
And what in the letter Paul writes to Philemon, he says, Receive him as myself. Remember? And so that's what we do. We take the gospel, God's word to us concerning his son, we take it in our hand. This is the way we're saved. This is the way we stand. And so he says, if you keep in memory what I preach to you, unless you have believed in vain. If God doesn't cause us to live upon, by faith, to live upon the gospel, then we've let it go. It wasn't important to us. It didn't produce life in us. And so we need yet to believe. Verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's where I want to stop. The Gospel. What is the Gospel? Well, we just read it. Paul said, I declared it to you, I preached it to you, you received it, you stand on the gospel, and, and you hold it in memory. So this is something that was declared, something that took place. In fact, he tells us what the gospel is in a summary form. He says, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That's the first part. He was buried he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Notice, uh, he says he died according to the scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He uses the word scriptures here twice in that one, those two short verses. He doesn't say a lot. There's, there's not a big paragraph or like I would do. I would con confound things with too many words. He says the gospel is what Christ has done. Who did it? Christ. What did he do? He died. Why did he die? For our sins. For whom did he die? For us. He says in verse 1, Brethren, moreover, brethren, our sins. He died for our sins. And what did he do in the, And when he died for our sins? Well, after he died, he was buried. And when he was buried... After he was buried, the third day he rose again. And all of this was according to the scriptures. Now, notice what's missing in what the, he calls the gospel. Your experience. Your experience is missing in this, isn't it? You were not there. Not in your person. Not in your lifetime. Somebody else was there. In fact, he says he died for our sins. So it was an act of of Christ for us as a substitute and as a representative. And it did not occur in the year 2022. It was a long time ago. Before you were born, God did this. Christ did this. Something was accomplished. Something was obtained. This is the gospel. History. That's the first thing we must learn about the gospel. The gospel has to do with history. But not just history like Napoleon or, or Abraham Lincoln. The history of a man, Jesus Christ. His history. That's what the scripture is about. It's about Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the history. And that's the, that's the event here he's talking about. The historical event. A unique event. An event you didn't contribute to. You didn't initiate it. You couldn't prevent it. It's declared to you. History is not something you can get into, contrary to modern uh, art and, and entertainment. You can't go back in time. You can't, you can't go back. I can't tell you today, you need to get involved in that history. You can't. It's already happened. It's outside of your hands, isn't it? And so, what God has done is held up to us in the preaching of the gospel. It's declared. And we're given this, this accomplishment of Christ and what he did, and we're told to believe it. In fact, that's what happens when we hear it. We find ourselves needy, and we find this to be all sufficient for our salvation. And there's something that happens 
God operates in us and he persuades us of the truth. And that persuasion is called faith. And we lay hold upon what is told to us concerning Christ and we come to him. We call, we ask, we seek. But all that is the effect of the gospel preached. It's not the accomplishment of that work, you see. So that what, what God does for us in our experience is not to accomplish the salvation, it's to tell us about a salvation already done. All right. Now I want to use that first part about how the gospel is a declaration of a past event. An event that took place in a specific location on this earth. As uh, someone said in a sermon, where a degree of longitude crosses a degree of latitude. Outside the walls of Jerusalem, there on a specific day, at a specific time, something was done by someone that accomplished the salvation of all of God's people. That's the gospel. And so, so when we look at this, I want to show you that what the gospel is with that outline. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the very first chapter of this book. And notice how the Apostle Paul says this in verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize. I'm not here to perform ordinances, but to preach the gospel. Why, why did the, uh, Jesus Christ send the Apostle Paul to preach the gospel? Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Now, look down at verse 23. What is the gospel? God sent Paul, Christ sent Paul to preach it. He says, we preach Christ crucified. There it is. He said, I'm going to preach the gospel. That's what I was sent to do. And he, and he sums it up here. We preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block because they look for signs. Show me a sign, then I'll believe. No, we're going to declare to you what God has done in Christ. And to the Greeks, foolishness. No, I need an intellectual, something I can, I can use as an advantage over others, something I can say, I, I can put all my ducks in line. I figured God out. I figured out my salvation. I know how it, I've gone to seminary. I've got it all in place. Nope. That's not the way it's going to come to you. God's going to declare to you his wisdom and his work. So, in verse 23, the gospel is Christ crucified. That's what Christ sent Paul to preach. And then, look down at verse 27. God hath chosen. Now, here we see that the gospel is for those God has chosen. And what are they like in themselves? Well, they're the foolish things of the world. They were chosen by God as foolish things in order to confound the wise. Verse 27, And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Base things of the world, things that are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to nothing, or N-O-U-G-H-T, things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So when the gospel is preached, it comes to those God has chosen, and it has an effect upon them. And in themselves, they are weak, they are foolish, they're base, they're despised, and God has set it up that way. In fact, they're nothing, absolutely nothing, in order that God can bring to nothing everything that thinks it's something in the world, because he's going to hold up his son. And this is the only one who's going to receive glory in the end and in your salvation. So he says, God has done this to bring to nothing things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him, of God, the one who has chosen his people, are you in Christ Jesus. Now, so you see that the gospel is about Christ and him crucified for a chosen people who are, by God, Put in Christ. And how does he do this? Well, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So he says, of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God, Christ now, is made to us. This is the way our salvation works. This is the gospel. This is what's declared to us. This is what you can't contribute to. This is what's done by God. It's his work. It's his design. 
And it happened in history. God has put you in Christ and has made Christ to you wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. There you have it. That's the outline of the gospel. Christ crucified, you chosen before of God, by God before, given to Christ, put in Christ, so that all that he does, you did in him. His wisdom, your wisdom. Don't look for wisdom in yourself. Look for Christ, to Christ for it. His righteousness, your righteousness. His holiness, his redemption, it's all yours because you're in him by God's doing. Now that's the outline of the gospel. Look at chapter 2 and verse 2. The gospel, that's the question. What is it? Paul says, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. All right then. Now we have, we have something we can see from Scripture, what God has said the gospel is. Can you see that? It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about what he did. It's about God's will given to him to do this. It's about what he obtained by accomplishing the will of God. That's the gospel. And that's a historical thing. That's an outside of your experience a, a, a event. And that event happened once. It's unique. You didn't contribute to it. God did it. And not only is it unique and outside of your experience, and one time, it, it happened once, but it will never be repeated. It's a one-time event occurring once by Christ, never to be repeated, and that work of His is perfect. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing need be added to it because it's complete. Everything done by him and only that which is done by him is perfect. That's the gospel. That's what's declared to us. Now in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, it says twice there that this was according to the scriptures. Notice that the scriptures are, what are they? They're written, aren't they? God's word written. Can you change it? No. Did you contribute to it? No. Does, do you experience those words? It's objective truth. It's truth that is there for you to see. If you look at the clock on the wall, you read the time, but reading the time doesn't change it, does it? It's objective. It's the actual time. We, we rely on that. It's outside of us. That's what the scriptures are. They're objective truth. We think in this world, no, truth is subjective. If that's true to you, that's your truth. Hogwash. That's the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard. And it's only, it, this, is what, this is what Satan did with Eve in the garden. Remember? Yay. If God said that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden, he's called God's word into question. He wanted her to think in terms of her own subjective understanding of the tree and how it looked and tasted and what it might do and thinking about how she could become something later. So he called God's word into question and he directed her to think about her own perception, her own experience. And, this, and she fell. And so did Adam. Same thing. But the Lord Jesus Christ was also tempted in the same way. And three times he was tempted. He said, the, the devil said to him, after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, turn, if you are the Son of God, then turn these stones into bread. Now he had just been baptized by John. The Father had spoken from heaven. And the Spirit of God in the form of a dove had, lit, had lighted upon him. And the, the uh, prophet John, uh, the greatest prophet ever in this world, had preached about him. Why didn't the, Jesus tell the devil, didn't you see what just happened? I was just baptized. The Spirit of God descended in this great show of, of, of approval, and God spoke from heaven. No, he didn't say that at all, did he? He just said, it is written. It is written? Why? Because the gospel is according to Scripture. It is written. That's our only defense. What did God say? 
That's the way things are. It is written. Jesus said, the scripture cannot be broken. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. God has magnified his word above his name. It is written. And what do we do? The gospel is according to the scripture. We just heard it this morning. Coming to God in the clothing of another is the only way we can come. In the clothing and in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way we can be accepted. In ourselves, foul and filthy and perverse and profane. In Christ, accepted, approved, received even as Him. And so that's the way we come. So, the, the gospel is according to Scripture. And remember when, when uh, Jesus just first began to... Uh, uh, in his ministry, what did he say in, in Mark chapter 1? Let me read this to you. In Mark chapter 1, it says, And Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Now, repentance is not the gospel. But the gospel causes repentance. And so the Lord Jesus directs them to the gospel. And what was the ministry of Christ? In what way did Christ preach the gospel? One of those ways was in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus came to Jesus. And Jesus, he told him, he says, you can't see the kingdom of God. You're not in the kingdom of God. The birth that you trust to Abraham will not get you there. And this is outside of your control. It has to be performed by the Spirit. And he gives life to whom he will, like the wind blows wherever he, the wind wants to, and accomplishes his work. You can't prevent it, you can't initiate it. And Nicodemus says, how can these things be? And you know what? That's when Christ preached the gospel. What did he say? The Son of Man who is in heaven. Let me read it to you, in fact, in John chapter 3. Go there with me, John chapter 3. He says it's about the Son of Man. He says in verse 13, No man has ascended up to heaven. This is Jesus Christ preaching the gospel. No man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Complex words. What is he saying? He's saying that I am the Son of Man. I came down from heaven. I will ascend to heaven and I will be seated on heaven's throne. And no one else has done this because there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, the mediator, the Son of Man, appointed by God to this task, and that's the only one who can go up to heaven because he first came down as our mediator, fulfilled the work God gave him to do, and then would be seated on heaven's throne. And so he says, he elucidates that work. Verse 14, here's the gospel. The Son of Man, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, you know the story, they were bitten by serpents, they were dying, many had already died, and the rest who were bitten were crying to Moses, what should Moses do something? And God said to Moses, you take a, you take a hunk of brass, and you hammer it out, and you heat it up, and you fasten it to a pole, and you tell everyone who's been bitten, you look on that serpent, hanging on that pole, and all who look will live. They had, they, they had nothing to bring. Look. Look! And so he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And he's talking about the cross that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There you have it. The gospel, Christ crucified, risen again, according to the scriptures. He pulls both from the Old Testament and the interpretation of it in the New. He explains the gospel, and this is what the Lord Jesus Christ himself did. He preached himself, and himself crucified, and he gave that to the apostles, and as as uh, Kevin was saying today, that was the work of the Spirit of God, the gospel preached. And so we, we see that there. We see it uh, in the Apostle Paul. We see it 
Throughout the New Testament, Jesus said, I am what? The bread of life. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, I live in him and he lives in me. He has eternal life. And that's the only way you can live. That's the gospel. Christ and him crucified and all who look to him live. Look at a couple more places. And I don't want to belabor this because it's, it's so many places. But in John chapter 12. In John chapter 12 and verse 24. We're talking about what the gospel is. Is Christ and him crucified? In verse 24 he says, Jesus said, in verse 23, Jesus answered them saying, The hour is come. This was a common phrase he used. The hour has come. History is about to be accomplished. The pole at the center of all of God's history is about to be accomplished. The tent of God's purposes hang on this. He says, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say to you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone, but if it die, it brings forth much fruit. There you have it. Christ and Him crucified. Look at verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? But for this cause came I unto this hour. This is the whole purpose. This is the work God gave Him to do. This is why He came. I'm not going to ask to be delivered from this hour. This is the reason I was born. It came into this world. And so he says in verse 28, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. Because the only one who can display his glory is the Father and he does it in the Son. The people therefore that stood by heard it, said it thundered. Others said an angel spoke to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all unto me. And this he says, signifying what death he should die. What is the gospel? What did Christ preach? He preached himself. Himself, the Son of Man, sent by God the Father to give life to his people, to be the propitiation for our sins, and in giving his life to declare to us what God has done in accomplishing our salvation is Christ. It's him crucified. This is the correction of all religious nonsense. This is the way we live. Look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I want to show you this. In Romans chapter 1, you know the book of Romans is an exposition of the gospel. What a magnificent gift from God this is. But look at chapter 1 and verse 16. In fact, I'll read this to you in chapter 1 since we're in chapter 1. Notice this. In verse 1 of chapter 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto what? The gospel of God, <clears throat> which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. What was it concerning? His son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. That's a summation of the gospel, isn't it? But look at verse 16. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? It's the power of God unto salvation. It's like uh, the little kids, we used to get these things they were called, um, I can't remember what they're called now, but you, you hit them with a hammer, caps or something like that, and they had this little powder in there, and it exploded, and you know, you, your ears would ring, that hurt, let's get a whole box of them, drop a brick on it, you know. <laughs> Man, that was big. I got something bigger, watch this, you know. And so you're always looking for that impressive thing as a kid and so of course your older siblings or your cousins they've got something they pull something out they light it they throw up you know that's impressive i'm not ashamed of that no he's he's got a better one the gospel is the power of god the power of how could anyone possibly be ashamed of the power of god 
Notice, the gospel. The gospel. Not your experience. Not a religious a commitment. What Christ did. And what God thought of him. Notice he says this. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It accomplishes something to everyone that believeth. That's all those saved by it. To the Jew first, also to the Greek. Now, here's why. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The gospel is revealed from heaven. It's declared, it's preached, it's set forth. Paul told the Galatians, Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. We set forth Christ, who he is, in his person as the Son of God, in his offices as Christ, and in his accomplishment as our mediator, as our surety, as we do every week. We're looking to Christ. We're trusting him. We are expecting God, by his written word, which cannot be changed and cannot be broken, to honor his word that he will receive us by what he provided and received from his son. Amazing. This is, this is mind-boggling, especially to a needy sinner. And it's the power of God to everyone that believes it. Because with the word comes the power operating in us to convince us of our need and of Christ's all-sufficiency. And we say, it's done. It's done. Notice here, though, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, so it's what Christ has done, declared to us, preached from Scripture. But, he says, and this is why, because in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, what is this righteousness? We read words and often say them, and we don't know what we're talking about, don't we? What is this righteousness of God? Well, remember, the work is God's work. Look at Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I want to take you to a few verses just real quickly here so you can see the... Uh, I like to just consider these things because it's convincing. You know, I like to be convinced by God of the truth. Luke chapter 2, verse 49 Jesus, at 12 years old, in the temple, talking to those men there, asking them questions. His mother, Mary, and Joseph uh, come to him, looking for him, had not been able to find him. In verse, 20, verse 49, he said to them, How is it that you sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? My father's work? This is his business. This has been God's business. Known unto God are all of his business from the foundation of the world. Right? Acts 15, 18. God knows what he's going to do before he ever created the world. So what's done in time? That's just the unfolding of what God determined would be done before time. And so what God gave his son to do had not only been determined before time, but this was his chief business. This was all of his work. This is that stake in the, in the tent of history and the purpose of God. What God gave Christ to do. So he says, I must be about my father's business. Look at John, the gospel of John in chapter 4. Jesus had come to the Samaritan woman, sat on the well, had told her that he was the Christ. She ran away with great delight. He told me everything I ever did. This must be the Christ. She was convinced. He said, I am the Christ. But look in verse 31. In the meanwhile, after he had been talking with the woman and she had left, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. And he said to them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said his disciples one to another, Has any man brought him ought to eat? Jesus said to them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. I must be about my father's business. My meat and my drink, everything I live for is to do my father's will and to finish his work. Adam did not do that. Christ did. You see, this is history. This is God working. This is God's work 
This is what was accomplished by Christ, and therefore, whose righteousness is it? It is the righteousness of God, because it is the work of God given to Christ, fulfilled by Him, working out His Father's will. Look at chapter 5, John 5 and verse 36. I have greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And look at John chapter 6 and verse 38. John 6, 38, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. You see? And so we saw in John chapter 12, and to, unless a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone, but if it die, it brings forth much fruit. Look at John 17. John 17, verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. So God's going to hold up his Son. He's going to set him forth. And in his Son, he's going to make himself known. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ is praying here. He's about to go to the cross. He says, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Because the gospel is for a chosen people. And this is a life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Notice, it's directing us not to, that they might know themselves. No. What life is there in that? That's misery. That would be like the Apostle said. We would be of all men most miserable if that's where life was. No, it's knowing Christ and God in Him. Verse 4. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And look at chapter 19, verse 28. 1928, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar. They, set a, they filled the sponge with vinegar, put it upon hyssop, put it to his mouth. In verse 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. It is finished. What was finished? The work God gave him to do. What was that work? The eternal will of God. But what was that work? I want to know. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now, I don't know about you, but that puts me completely at ease. This is the work of God. This work was finished. This work was perfect. This work is done. This work is declared. And I am directed by Christ himself, the Son of God from heaven, who sits on heaven's throne, who came in humiliation, willingly submitting himself in humility, the meek and lowly one. And he says, I'm going to undertake. I'm going to give myself a ransom for many. As the serpent hung on the pole, the Son of Man, the Son of God, on the pole, made sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This is God's work. All of God's works are righteous and holy. Psalm 145, verse 17. And so when he speaks of this, he speaks about a finished work, a work perfect, a work done by him once, never to be repeated. Because when he did this work, he gave himself. And what could be more than the one in whom the fullness of the Godhead dwells to give himself? Can you add to that? Hebrews chapter 10, he says this in verse 5. When he cometh into the world, he said this, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book, from first to last, from the top of the scroll to the bottom of the scroll, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. And what was that will? Chapter 10, Hebrews 10. 
above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither has pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which will we are made holy, sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily ministry, offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. You see? That's the work. That's the gospel. That corrects every error. That's the power of God. That's what we are to believe. And the power of God... The gospel that is the power of God into salvation is not just for the unbeliever who comes to that point of, in his life in conversion and he believes the gospel. The power of God into salvation is not just when we initially understand and believe the gospel. In fact, it's mostly in our everyday life, throughout our life as a believer. What are we to do? The power of God unto our salvation is the gospel of what Christ did. It's not directing us inward. It's directing us to Christ and Him crucified, having accomplished the work and will of God. And so he says, By one offering He has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Wherefore the, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sins, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest. By what? By um, accomplishing some great work for Christ? By becoming a pastor, or by becoming uh, whatever, in the eyes of men, by gaining some uh, degrees in a seminary, by having a religious experience where I just feel so good. No. Those things must not only be uh, looked down upon, they must be repudiated. They must be abandoned, forsaken, loathed. Because there's only one thing God looks upon only one thing God accepts. The only way we can have access. The only propitiation for sins. The only remission of our sins. The only reconciliation. The only justification and sanctification of our sins is Christ and Him crucified. He did it all. There's nothing left out. And so he says in Colossians 2.9, The fullness of the Godhead dwells in Him and you are complete in Him. He always directs us to the only perfection ever accomplished in this world. That's the gospel. That's the way we live. This is the power of God in the life of a believer. And this is what Paul was determined to preach nothing else to you, Corinthians. And so he corrects every error with this. Amazing. Amazing. Now just one more verse in 1 Corinthians 15. We could go on and on, and I know that you will. And we're gone, and I'm glad to hear it. First Corinthians 15. A couple of verses here. Verse 20. Now is Christ risen from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, 20, and become the first fruits of them that slept. He's accomplished everything. He's already risen. We're going to rise because of him. For since by man came death, that would be Adam, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. It pleased God to undo what Adam did in another man, Christ. Verse 22, For as in Adam all die, that's what we were, we were born in Adam, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now look at verse 45. So it is written, The first Adam was made a living soul, in the garden, when God created Adam, he formed him from the dust of the earth, and he breathed into his nostrils a breath of life. He says, man became a living soul. He says, the last Adam, now this is a revelation that didn't come until here. 
the last Adam was made or is a quickening spirit. When we were conceived in the womb of our mother, by our father, we received from our father his nature, didn't we? And his father, he received from his father, and so on and so on, back to Adam. When Adam took that fruit, and he ate that fruit, we were in Adam. God said, in the day you eat, you shall surely die. When Adam ate, he died. His spirit died within him. He had no spirit. All those, he had a dead spirit. All those born to him, they were born dead in sins. In, in, in iniquity did my mother conceive me. In sin did my mother conceive me, David said in Psalm 51. And so you and I were born into this world flesh. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. The natural man, that's what we are by birth to our parents. How then do we become the children of God? The Lord Jesus Christ is the second Adam. He is the one, it says here, he was made a quickening spirit. And in Romans 8, verse 10, it says, if Christ be in you, if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Because of righteousness, Christ's righteousness, we receive the life of Christ in us as an effect, as the result, the consequence of Christ having died for our sins, been buried and put our sins away from the memory of God and risen again, seated on heaven's throne, and as the King and Lord of all, sending His Spirit to give life to the chosen of God that he might be glorified in their salvation and they hear the gospel and they believe. That's the power of God. He sends the truth of his word into their hearts and they know that Christ is everything and they cling to him and they continue in this. God did it. As, as Kevin pointed out, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. As he said, and shall he not do it? And so we see this. The Lord has spoken. He has spoken the gospel concerning His Son by the which we're saved. What a blessing it is. What a blessing.